Hi, welcome to Gratuitous Thrones. I'm your host, Jack Schneffel. And I'm your co-host, Alex Greyhawk. This is the episode for Season 8, Episode 4. I think the title of this episode is Not With a Whisper But a Bang. <laughs> Either that or God damn it, Danny. God damn it, Danny. Uh, where do we want to start this week? Let's give the man fuck this show and the way they kill off all all the round characters out of the way first just so we don't have that energy building up all right we're working reverse chronologically Mm -hmm. so this episode ends with a tense round of negotiations between danny's retinue of a few of the unsullied sullied drogon way off in the back away from the ballistas gray worm and Tyrion, Mm -hmm. who is acting as her hand and the mouthpiece of Daenerys. On the other side, we have Cersei and Kyburn is... No one likes him. And Kyburn, who no one likes, is acting as her mouthpiece. She also has a castle with about a dozen dragon-killing ballistas. Mm -hmm. The mountain is right next to her along with Euron. No one likes them. And recently, after a attack by the Iron Fleet, they have captured Masande. Mm-hmm. The negotiations go south, and then Masande goes down, and it sucks. Yeah. As soon as the scene started and they showed that Masande was there, I'm like, oh, this episode's going to end with her dying. Great. I'm sad about it because I love Masande as a character, and it's not cash money. Really, if anyone in the show deserved a happy ending, it was her. Mm-hmm. And Hot Pie. Yes. And Sam and Gilly. I mean, Hot Pie has gotten a happy ending. Yeah, so that's fine. And Sam and Gilly got their goodbyes. They're probably fine. And if they're never seen again on screen, then they're fine forever. Protect them. And Gilly's pregnant again. Yay. This time with Sam's. Yay. And he tried to awkwardly explain how that happened. (laughs) And Gilly's like, no, no. It's fine. Before we move away from that scene, gosh dang Peter Dinklage, gosh dang Lena Headey doing some amazing acting there. Even uh, Amelia Clark. Both are female leads utter very few if any lines during that scene but their facial expressions and their body languages tell you so much about their internal states it's excellent like top-notch acting yeah and then uh, natalie emmanuel who plays uh missande is doing the best she can with being a hostage mm-hmm. and then a really bad choice there to have her last line be Dracarys because it's just going to motivate Daenerys to burn the city more which is the exact opposite of, of what needs to happen I get where you're coming from Miss Sandy, but yikes it's not helpful yeah also shout out to my friend Stefan who posted that Dracarys is the new Balenciaga okay <laughs> oh right you haven't seen American Horror Story sorry that's hilarious if you've seen American Horror Story so, do we want to just keep working backwards in time? Sure. So, I think before that, we had Tyrion and Varys... Uh, discussing treason? Committing some light treason, yeah. I honestly think that, from a perspective of plot and characters, that was the best scene this season. Yeah. It's never going to top the spectacle of Lyanna Mormont stabbing a giant in the eye or Arya killing the Night King, but it's some great politicking and... These two very wise, very eloquent men talking about this is what we should do. This is what the people of the Seven Kingdoms deserve. Mm -hmm. And Deidre Pinklage is doing a really great job of someone who realizes that he's backing the wrong horse, but really doesn't want to back down from it because he has a variety of motivations not to. 
mm-hmm. part of which he already feels like a traitor since he betrayed his own family. Mm-hmm. I also really like during that conversation that the people of Westeros come up and Varys is specifically fighting for them to make sure that the best person possible is on the throne for them. Right. Partially because he was one of those people. He worked his way up into being an advisor of half a dozen kings and queens, but he started off as a slave. Yeah, he's drifted so far from Book Varys and I'm so happy because it's such a better character choice. This episode really highlighted just how far a lot of these characters have come from when we first met them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if it's actually before that, but around this is when we had the Jamie leaving Brienne scene that I cry. I cry hard. At this point, everyone knows exactly what's going on. Everyone knows Danny's just going to burn down King's Landing. She doesn't care anymore. And Jamie realizes what's going on. And even after staying behind in Winterfell to stay with Brienne after they started a relationship in earnest. It's canon now! He's still like, no, I have done terrible things for Cersei, and I will continue to do terrible things for Cersei. She's hateful, and so am I. It's so heartbreaking, and it's such a... It's... Ah! Yeah, Jamie's dead to me now, because he made Brienne cry. (laughs) I mean... I wasn't a huge Jamie fan before. I thought his arc was compelling, but he's just trashed all of that now. I am still in the camp of being intrigued by him as a character because I can see how he's struggling and failing to break out of a toxic relationship. I get that, and that's compelling, but the only way Jamie can redeem himself in my eyes is if he's the one who kills Cersei. I get that. But before we got to that, we did get the delightfully awkward scene of Jamie and Brienne, who are both very sad, broken people who have had really weird, unpleasant interactions with sex and gender, having a healthy sexual and romantic relationship for like four nights. Yay. But also that scene of them both wanting to do the sex, but not wanting to be the one to start. It was great. Mm-hmm. That was kind of like the middle in this line of very awkward but interesting romantic moments. Yeah, so we got Gendry proposing to Arya. And Arya bending down, kissing him, and saying, You're a lovely man. Any woman would be lucky to have you. I'm glad you're now the lord of the Stormlands, but I'm not a lady. Mm -hmm. Then later on the episode, as the Hound is leaving Winterfell on horseback, she joins up with him and... They reestablish that buddy cop thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's probably going to be like one episode of buddy cop before that split ways or whatever, but yeah. yeah. I mean, I do immensely enjoy that I called Gendry reclaiming the Stormlands for the Baratheons and yeah. being made legitimate. Right. And then the last awkward romantic thing was John and Danny trying to do a makeout and instead having an argument about uh, how John should definitely lie to his siblings. And John's like, no. Danny is, you know, viewing how everyone is treating John after the Battle of Winterfell, and I know that look that the people were giving you. I've had many people give me that look, but never here, never on this side of the sea. And part of me is like, then go the fuck back to Essos? Yeah. This episode, I think, really solidified it for anyone who was still in the Danny camps. Like, uh, you may not be backing the right horse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh boy. But again, good acting from Amelia Clark. So when that scene started, you commented that you didn't think she loves John, and after that scene, like, you know, I think she does. She just loves her power more. Yes. 
So I think going backwards was a mistake because keeping track of what's happened and what we have and have talked about is difficult now. Yeah, let's just go ahead and jump around to what we want to talk about. Sure. So the other death in this episode is the other dragon. Yeah, uh, Rhaegal? Sure. On my bingo sheet, he's marked as the other dragon. Euron just pumping him full of ballista bolts. Surprising amount of blood there. Yeah. One hit and like, uh, maybe this dragon's not dead. And there were two more, one through the neck, and the dragon starts splurting blood out of its mouth. Like, oh, no, that dragon's dead. (laughs) (laughs) It went from, uh, we can rebuild here. This can be a land where all people and aliens can meet. Boom. Oh, no, it's dead. It's it's gone. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. And with that and the destruction of the fleet, that put a serious dent in any advantage Danny might have had. Because she's down to one dragon now. One dragon and about half of the troops that she had for the Battle of Winterfell. Mm-hmm. The episode starts off with funerary pyres and all of them lined up. And because of the type of person I am, I, I paused and counted the number of pyres. And then when we got a closer shot, I counted the number of corpses on a pyre. So there's roughly 85-ish pyres. It's uh, 7 by 12. And there are 30-ish corpses for most of those pyres, the front row kind of looks like it's resigned for named characters and so there's only about three to six bodies on those but after they light them and the black smoke just fills the air it's a very cinematic touch to just show you how big their losses are yeah i love the way the smoke just takes up the whole frame it's just gone which is also i think wound up being good foreshadowing honestly the idea of it the snow is gone and the fire is rising mm-hmm yeah, I am wondering just how long this winter is going to last. Mm. Probably not that long. I mean, I think the Night King had a certain aspect of making it wintry. So, yeah. Speaking of the snow falling, John lost a lot of ties with the Starks at this point. Yeah. Partway through the episode, John is confronted by Arya and Sansa after he makes a decisions like yeah the north is 100% behind you my queen even though Arya and Sansa are like no we should probably rest and hold off our attack these men have just fought this terrible battle they need to recuperate mm-hmm. a great Sansa bit yeah they confront John afterwards and it eventually ends up leading to I have something to tell you but you have to promise not to tell a soul and they're like well what is it you have to promise before I tell you they promise, and then he's like, tell them, Bran. And I'm like, come on, John." And Bran has this kind of look of like, oh, so awkward. Um. He tells Sansa and Arya that he's not their half-brother or bastard brother, but their cousin. And then later on, as he's kind of saying goodbye, as he's leaving Winterfell, leading the troops down King's Road, he gives Ghost to Tormund, who is taking the Free Folk back to north of the wall why what is there up there for you and i get that it's home but there can't be a lot of food it's what they know so he has given up his dire wolf and he says goodbye to sam and gilly and just the symbolism of giving up ghost like he is completely getting rid of anything that ties him to the starks at this point and just giving up on a lot of his past yeah He's doing it all for Danny, which I don't think bodes well for what's going to happen in the next couple episodes. No. It also makes my assumption that he's going to side with the Starks in the end less ironclad, and that worries me. I don't want bad things to happen with the Starks when all they'd be a happy family. Yeah. However, before all this happened, we had that dinner scene that was great. 
Yeah. That was a wonderful dinner scene. It was a good tension breaker. I did not realize much of a breather it was going to be before this episode, which we needed. Holy shit. Yeah. So in that dinner scene, we get Gendry getting the title to the Stormlands from Daenerys. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, solidifying him as an ally. Mm-hmm. We get Jamie, Tyrion, Brienne, and Podrick all playing drinking games together. Mm-hmm. Which is great. And seeing Brienne get to be happy and have fun, thank you. We also see Tormund try to woo Brienne, kind of get rejected, and then he finds the least sympathetic ear in the room in the Hound. <laughs> That was my favorite part. Uh, Then just slightly later, Sansa, I'm not sure if the women were just like having to find some brave soldiers to take to bed that night or whether Sansa had specifically directed them to Tormund and the Hound, but Sandor's like, no, I don't want any. Go away. And Sansa has a sit down with him. It's an interesting conversation. There's one bit, though, that is a little squicky that I didn't particularly care for the bit where it implies that all the bad stuff that happened to her was necessary to make her who she is and like there's a bit of truth to that Sansa would not be the person that she is without all that happening to her but it kind of insinuate that because she was naive and didn't know how the world worked that she deserved everything that happened to her which is real gross right and it's that trope that like women have to be subject to violence in order to become competent which yeah, yeah like I love where Sansa is but that Uh, that's not great yeah Uh, but however uh, towards the end as that conversation is getting a little bit lighter you see Podrick in the background with a woman on each arm I love Podrick is a sex god as a (laughs) weird running current in this show why what does he do I don't know but he didn't have to pay at that brothel This also counters my theory that Podrick is gay and that was just like them being like oh here we'll we'll keep it on the down low here's your money back we're not going to charge you for nothing. Uh-uh. We also finally got some movement on the subplot with Bronn. Oh, yeah, that scene that went actually really fast. Yeah. So right before the forces are going to head down south, Jamie and Tyrion are in this inn, and they're drinking and commiserating. They're talking about Jamie and Brienne, and Tyrion's like, I'm very happy for you. I'm happy that you finally have to climb for it. Do you know how long I've been waiting to make tall people jokes? <laughs> Bless. Oh, Tyrion. And then this is all interrupted by Bronn bursting in, brandishing a crossbow. It's like, here's the deal. Cersei told me to kill you, and she offered me Riverrun to do it. What are you offering in return for me to not do that? And they offer him Highgarden, which, to be fair, doesn't have anybody running it right now that I know of. Yeah, all of the Tyrells are dead. The Tarleys who stepped in after them are also now dead. Mm-hmm. I guess they're just being a sort of well-fed commune. I hope that someone who isn't Bronn gets to sit in Highgarden. Yeah, I think this really solidified that Bronn is never going to change. No. Which... You know, that's a fair direction to take it. I much prefer this direction than him just, like, shooting both of them and taking the money. Right. That would not have been super satisfying. Yeah. But I kind of was hoping that, like, we'd get a scene where Jamie or Tyrion pulls Arya aside, like, hey, I have a job for you. (laughs) Although it looks like Cersei is kind of her top priority. She also apparently doesn't intend to come back to Winterfell. That's interesting. Does she not expect to survive this? What's her thought process here? I'm not sure if it's she doesn't expect her to survive 
or whether she's not a lady, she doesn't belong in Winterfell, and she just wants to travel. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. She turned Gendry down and then decided to pal around with the Hound. Yeah, which, a choice. Mm -hmm. And again, there's the whole what's west of west thing that came up, so hopefully we'll see that. I hope she discovers the planet is around and she winds up in a shy and just finds all the dragons in the thousand room palaces and shit. Oh, we also found out that Yara took back the Iron Islands. Yay! Also, there's apparently a new prince in Dorne. Yay! Yay. <laughs> I assume that's the last we'll hear of Dorne. Yeah, I think they just kind of had to name drop. Like, oh yeah, things are happening there. You don't get to see them. Yeah. Honestly, like, I keep coming back to the last two scenes we had this episode because they were all so very good. Mm-hmm. There's this scene at a war council with Daenerys and Varys. And Varys goes, My queen, I told you that if I thought you were ever making a mistake, I would look you in the eye and tell you so. I'm looking you in the eye. You're making a mistake. And Danny does that thing where her face gets really emotionless and you can tell that she's not going to listen to reason. Yeah, and she talks about, like, I promise to end tyranny in Westeros at any cost necessary. And I just, I turned to Jackson at that point and was just like, you best start believing in tyrants, Daenerys. You are one. Pretty much. Uh, it's so frustrating. I think I tweeted a few weeks ago that Danny gotta go, and Danny gotta go. Yeah, like, it's just more and more she's succumbing to this lust for power. It's so close to her, but so far away, and she's getting incredibly frustrated and is making terrible decisions to try and get there f as fast as possible. And it's clear that she's not in a place anymore where she would be able to be a good ruler of things. The second there's a peasant rebellion, or the North decides to secede, or someone doesn't want to get married to the right person, she get angry about it. Yeah, she's made too many compromises. Mm -hmm. And she's lost two of her children now. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, that Cersei parallel. So, Drogon's not long for the world. Well, we still need that scene with his shadow over King's Landing. Right. <sighs> and we're gonna find out if it's a metaphor or not. <laughs> or a dream. Or a dream. Another thing that I loved about the last two scenes of this episode is so Tyrion and Kybert are talking <laughs> and negotiating and they're like, I don't want to see this city burn down. I don't want to hear the dreams of burning children. And Kybert just mentions, it is not a pleasant sound. And Tyrion just looks at him like, I don't want to hear that sound. I, I'm dealing with a sociopath. <laughs> and he just walks past Kyburn towards where Cersei is standing up on the wall of the castle and pleads directly with her. And A, I love that Tyrion is like, I know my sister, I can get at what makes her tick, and does a good job almost getting there. Props to him. But I also just love how completely mad scientist Kyburn is. Mm -hmm. Kyburn's like, I don't want to save the city. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. Well, I mean, probably zombies, but yes. <laughs> Yeah, but if I don't say dinosaurs, people aren't going to know the Spider-Man comic I'm referencing. That's true, that's true. And the conversation with Tyrion and Cersei is really interesting, too. There's a great bit where Tyrion says, I know you're not a monster, I know you care for your children. And a certain amount of, like, mm, isn't she, though? But it's true that she does care for her children. That is definitely a canon thing. And I appreciate that you can see that these words are working on her. There might have been a chance for that to have worked two or three seasons ago. Yeah. I think it's really interesting juxtaposing that conversation with the one Jamie has with Brienne. And it's just these two very distinct sides of Cersei that her two brothers are intimately familiar with. Right. Yeah, fucking Jamie. I'm honestly surprised that we haven't had a lot of Cersei scenes this season yet. I thought we were going to get more of that this episode. Yeah, I'm guessing they're saving her because now a lot of the characters are converging on King's Landing, so we're probably going to get a decent amount of that narrative happening. Yeah. 
Oh, I don't think we mentioned one of the biggest things yet is that Sansa did not keep that secret that Jon told her to keep and told Tyrion. Oh, yeah. Tyrion then proceeded to tell Varys. Let's see, so he said eight people now. So that's Bran, Sansa, Arya, Jon, Daenerys, Tyrion. Varys. Varys. And Sam. Right, there we go. Okay. Maybe Gilly. I would bet Gilly, but I also don't know whether she realizes how significant that information is. Mm -hmm. And also, I feel like Gilly is a very sensible, level-headed person who's like, well, not my circus. Yeah. That's a big deal, and that's going to cause some stress down the line. Yeah. Well, maybe. We've only got two episodes. It might not come up. Well, it gives Tyrion and Varys a pressure release valve, kind of a way to blackmail Danny. They can say... You're going to do things our way, or gonna we're going to make sure it's not you on the Iron Throne at the end of this. Right, which might not go well, but I can imagine them trying that. Between Varys and Tyrion, yeah, especially how things are going now, and Danny's about to go off the deep end, because one of her closest advisors, the one who's been around the longest out of anyone left, just died at the hands of Cersei. Mm-hmm. Really, she's down to just Varys, Tyrion, and Grey Worm. And Grey Worm is probably... Not going to be in a great place after this. Also, I was a little disappointed that Davos went down with the troops along the King's Road as opposed to going by sea. I mentioned that my prediction was the only reason he would, was going to be survived was to go up against Euron and the Iron Fleet, and then that didn't come to pass. No, because Danny doesn't have a fleet anymore. Yep. I mean, Davos is away from all the nonsense happening there. He's with a bunch of sensible people like Arya and John and the Hound and... It'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. (laughs) I have no idea where things are going at this point. So much has changed by the end of this episode. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing Danny's going to burn that city down by the end of the next episode, or at least she's going to try. That battle is probably definitely happening next episode. I can't see them dragging that out a whole nother episode before that battle. Yeah, I'm guessing we'll have about half an episode of plotting, politicking, and characters moving down south, and then the episode will end with a battle, and then... We'll have one last episode to wrap up all the subplots. Pretty much. Oh, I have a praise and a complaint. So my praise, shot composition. Really good this episode. A lot of, like, really well-done visual things. I mean, Game of Thrones usually looks pretty good, but this had a lot of, like, nice characters positioned in ways so you could see them all, and... Yeah, there's this one shot where you've got all the Stark children just framed incredibly well, and, like, they're this cohesive family unit. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it doesn't last the entire episode. Right. And there's a great bit where Tyrion and Kyburn are talking, and Kyburn is framed with the castle wall in the background, whereas Tyrion has the open sky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a lot of nice little things. The thing I'm going to complain about, apparently they filmed some scenes of Sansa and Tyrion killing whites in the crypts, but cut them from the episode last time. Ah. So, it's still can, but you didn't see it. Well, we'll just have to wait for the extended edition DVDs. Gods. <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised that if you took all of the cut scenes from all eight seasons, we would end up with another season's worth of content. Probably. I mean, I still maintain that scene between... Who is that maester? Who was in the first few seasons? Uh, the old one. The one at Castle Black? Uh, no, uh, Re- the Red Keep. He was part of the council. Oh, yeah, the, the pervy one. Yeah. Anyway, that maester has an amazing scene with Tywin that got cut, and I'm so sad because it deepened both of their characters in a lot of really interesting ways. But yeah, that's where I'm at. Also, man, Missandei, that sucks. Yeah. <sighs> it's Game of Thrones. It's never going to be boring. No. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we hope you join us next week. If you want to be sure to catch the tail end of our comics bracket, which will be going up this Friday, uh, you can make sure to follow us on 
Twitter, Facebook, Podbean, and Spotify. And we'll have two more episodes of Gratuitous Thrones coming in the next couple weeks. And we're starting to think about what we want to do with this part of the podcast in the future. So if you have things you want to see us talk about, let us know. That'll be a back burner for a little bit. Probably a few week hiatus on the second episode a week, but it will probably come back sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. This has been Gratuitous Thrones. Thanks for tuning in.